So I had a friend who knew a guy, and I heard this story like 20 years ago. My friend knew this guy who had been one of the Israeli soldiers who captured the old city during the Six-Day War in June of 1967. He was a pretty typical soldier, young, secular Jew, probably had never been to synagogue before. But he told my friend that that first night, he was assigned guard duty up on the Temple Mount, right by the gold Dome of the Rock, where the Jewish temple had once stood, Judaism's holiest site. And all night long, he was just terrified, absolutely freaked out, because here he was thinking that the Messiah was about to come any minute. Which was absurd, because he was totally not religious. Did he believe in the Messiah? No. But did he think the Messiah was about to come? He thought maybe. All those prophecies were swirling around his head about the return of the Jews to Jerusalem, about reclaiming Jewish sovereignty over the holy places, all those centuries of suffering and persecution that would now come to an end, and that he, of all people, was now going to have to be the first one to greet the Messiah face to face, and what could he possibly say? So for hours, this guy jumped at every noise in the dark. He wasn't scared of some Arab ambush, but of the Messiah coming around the corner. So daylight comes, and his guard duty was up, and the Messiah had not arrived. What did he think about this? He had the same response as every other Jew in history who had waited expectantly for the Messiah, who never showed. He shrugged. I guess we just have to keep waiting. Israel's capture of the old city in 1967 enraptured the entire country and global Jewry. If you weren't captivated by the weight of history, you were overcome by the imminent arrival of the Messiah. Even Yitzhak Rabin, the rugged, famously introverted head of the Israel Defense Forces, waxed lyrically about the moment that he called the, quote, peak of his life, end quote. In his memoirs, Rabin wrote, quote, The sacrifices of our comrades have not been in vain. The countless generations of Jews murdered, martyred, and massacred for the sake of Jerusalem say to you, Comfort yet our people, console the mothers and fathers whose sacrifices have brought about redemption. End quote. The American-Israeli historian and politician Michael Oren quoted Israel's foreign minister, Abba Ibn, who wrote in New York about, quote, a flood of historic emotion that burst the dams of restraint and set minds and hearts in movement far beyond the limits of our land, end quote. The Six-Day War impacted just about everything. Cold War superpower relations, the United Nations, the American-Israeli relationship, internal Arab politics, terrorism and conflict. The war provoked profound attitudes in the Israeli and Jewish psyche. It was the greatest Jewish military victory in 2,000 years, and it affected Jewish ideas about power, identity, the relationship to the state of Israel, even God, still to this day. So that's what we're talking about today cramming a book's worth of material into about 20 minutes or so. I'm your host, Jason Harris, and this is Jew Ought to Know. I would say to young people that we can do everyone our share to redeem the world. For six days, Israel fought. On the seventh day, it rested. One version of the story goes that it was Yitzhak Rabin who gave the Six-Day War its official name. 
It seems the victory was such that the secular warrior could only describe it with an analogy to divine creation in the Hebrew Bible. Biblical imagery was everywhere, and not just from the rabbis at the Western Wall. The historian Daniel Gordis quotes the Israeli writer Chaim Guri. Quote, it seemed to me I died and was waking up, resurrected, end quote. Non-religious Jews found themselves flipping through the prophecies of Isaiah and Amos and Jeremiah, looking for the words to describe and understand this moment. Daniel Gordis writes, quote, Those early Zionist thinkers had dreamed of a world in which the Jews, sovereign on the land of their ancestral home, would finally be safe. That day had finally come, end quote. Everywhere, people spoke of redemption. But still, all was not euphoric. The price of the victory was immense. Around 800 soldiers were killed in those six days, a number comparable today to 105,000 Americans in one week. Everyone in Israel either knew someone who died or knew a family who had lost a loved one. It was a deeply personal loss, all the more so for having been done in the defense of their home, not as a war for conquest and glory. A few weeks after the war, IDF Chief of Staff Yitzhak Rabin, the war's great hero, was awarded an honorary doctorate by the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. Speaking before a crowd of luminaries, he addressed the war in which Israel, he said, quote, astounded the world, end quote. War, he said, is, quote, intrinsically harsh and cruel, and blood and tears are its companions. But the war we have just fought also brought forth marvelous examples of a rare courage and heroism, and the most moving expressions of brotherhood, comradeship, and even spiritual greatness, end quote. Rabin talked about the capture of the old city within sight of the Hebrew University campus. Quote, the nation was exalted, and many wept when they heard of the capture of the old city. Our soldiers have no taste for sentimentality and shrink from any public show of emotion. In this instance, however, the strain of battle and the anxiety which preceded it joined with the sense of deliverance, the sense of standing at the very heart of Jewish history, to break the shell of hardness and diffidence, stirring up springs of feelings and spiritual discovery. The paratroopers who conquered the wall leaned on its stones and wept. End quote. Rabin's speech was notable because it wasn't the jubilant victory lap that might be expected from the commander of one of the world's greatest military triumphs. He was instead in a much more subdued mood, reflecting on the national stage, Israel's struggle to make sense of what was both miraculous and terrible. Quote, the elation of victory has seized the whole nation, yet among the soldiers themselves a curious phenomenon is to be observed. They cannot rejoice wholeheartedly. Their triumph is marred by grief and shock, and there are some who cannot rejoice at all. The men in the front line saw with their own eyes not only the glory of victory, but also its cost, their comrades fallen beside them soaked in blood. And I know that the terrible price the enemy paid has also deeply moved many of our men. It may be that the Jewish people has never learned or accustomed itself to feel the triumph of conquest and victory, and therefore we receive it with mixed feelings. End quote. Yitzhak Rabin was speaking from the top down, accepting the honorary degree, he said, that was really for the whole army in national recognition of what they had accomplished. But he also understood the mixed feelings of the individual soldiers and the ways in which the war had impacted them. No 
institution exemplified the self-conception of Israel like the kibbutz. The small, mostly secular socialist villages had been unique mainstays of Israel since the pre-state years in the early 1900s. By the 60s, they were at the pinnacle of their cultural power. It was generally understood that they produced the elite of Israeli society, the Sabra, the native-born Israeli named after the plant that is prickly on the outside but soft and sweet on the inside. The most famous avatar of this was Yitzhak Rabin. Thanks to their socialist Zionist upbringing, combined with the hard labor of working the land and the communal lifestyle, the kibbutz produced the muscular, educated, collective-minded, sun-tanned new Jew of Zionist mythology, though it was also reality. You found kibbutzniks at the highest levels of Israeli society, especially the military. The best Air Force pilots, the elitist special operations soldiers, the most daring tank drivers, though not exclusively from the kibbutz, that was the perception, and it wasn't too far off the mark. After the war, the kibbutz movement convened a study of the soldiers who had fought, interviewing hundreds. No doubt the leadership hoped to confirm the perception of the courageous, selfless, strong, but sensitive kibbutznik, which they did. The study was called The Soldiers' Chats, but it became better known by the title it was given in book form, The Seventh Day. It spoke of the soldiers' heroism, but also of their profound conflicts and worries. The historian Gil Troy writes that, quote, Publishing the book was like setting off a mortar shell during Independence Day celebrations. Some considered it hostile to what was considered a just war, or treasonous, end quote. In particular, what came out was the kibbutzniks' deep distress over having to kill Arabs, and worries that this victory would turn them into conquerors. Muki Tsur, an historian of the kibbutz movement, wrote, quote, Our feelings are mixed. We swore never to return to the Europe of the Holocaust, yet we refused to lose that Jewish sense of identifying with the victims, end quotes. Soldiers understood that they had to fight to defend their homes, but beyond that took no joy or comfort in what they had accomplished. They spoke of the humanity of the Arab soldiers against whom they had fought, regretting that the soldiers they shot at were also sons and fathers with families back home. The historian Martin Gilbert quotes from a paratrooper who fought through the alleyways of Jerusalem, quote, I came back without any joy. The victory didn't mean anything to me. None of us could even smile, though the people were cheering us when we came through the Mandelbaum Gate. But we had lost 50% of our company. I never want to go back. I've had enough of that place. I'll tell you in two words what the battle was. Murder and fear. Murder and fear. I've had enough. Enough. We had to do it, though. That's all I know. But it must never, never happen again. If it doesn't, then perhaps it will have been worthwhile. But only if it never happens again. End quote. So you ended up with a duality of attitudes from those who had fought. An incredible, newfound confidence paired with distress about the future. Deep relief at having averted another holocaust, but at the price of having to kill so many other people. A rapid demobilization of the reserve soldiers back home and back into the economy. People fought to the death in the Golan Heights and two days later were back at the office. The pride of having captured so much territory, but no idea yet what to do with it. And in other ways, the war profoundly impacted the Israeli and wider Jewish relationship with the state of Israel, its land, the notion of Jewish power, and even God.
article in 1987, the American rabbi Arthur Hertzberg wrote about the victory in 1967. Quote, Israel was, for the first time, the modern heir to David. It had slain visible Goliaths and had defied even larger giants which were lurking behind them. Even non-believers spoke of miracles. In a very deep sense, the exile of the Jews, which had begun with the destruction of the temple in the year 70, ended in the Six-Day War. This victory cured Jews of the shame of powerlessness. They were now admired among the other nations, and they could admire themselves as a people of valor and of independence. End quote. For 2,000 years or more, history had left Jews feeling powerless over their own destiny, always surviving or dying at the whims of rulers, societies, and events that were so often hostile to Jewish existence. Zionism in the late 1800s had been an effort to change that dynamic, with the goal of re-establishing Jewish sovereignty in their ancient homeland, a place where they alone could determine their own fate and live freely as Jews. Zionism emphasized a new kind of Jew, a muscular Jew, strong and independent, sun-baked by hard work in the fields, armed with a rifle for defense and deep attachment to the land. For decades, Zionism had been working towards this vision, but it had always been incomplete. Even the War of Independence in 1948 hadn't quite broken the spell. One of my all-time favorite Israel commentators is Danielle Hartman, president of the Shalom Hartman Institute, really one of the best Israel studies organizations out there in my view and whom I've studied with on occasion. Not to, you know, promote my competition, but if you're looking for another great podcast specific to contemporary Israel, check out For Heaven's Sake, the Shalom Hartman Institute's in-house podcast. Danielle Hartman talks about how the Six-Day War changed Jewish and Israeli perceptions of power, land, and God. He says that the War of Independence in 1948 came too soon after the Holocaust. It was a victory over a defeat. But 1967 was a victory that prevented defeat, that prevented what the Arabs promised was a second Holocaust. There was a sense that with this victory, history was finally on our side. History, says Danielle Hartman, was for the first time not a problem for the Jews, but instead a sign that God loves us. God is now no longer just presiding over Jewish suffering, but actually delivering miracles, delivering us victories. It was an upending of Jewish theology, and it therefore required a new relationship to God. And this would be exemplified especially by the religious Zionists, the religious Jews who had seen the hand of the divine in the secular Zionist movement, who believed that the creation of the state of Israel was a key step towards the redemption of the Jewish people. 1967 cemented that view because it brought back into the Jewish fold the land, the Holy Land. Before 1967, the Jewish holy sites had been outside of Israel's control, primarily located in the West Bank, which was occupied by Jordan. But the war brought every single one of them into Israel, and this was enormously significant. The Israeli poet Natan Alterman wrote that, quote, The meaning of this victory is that it erased the difference between the state of Israel and the land of Israel. The state and the land are henceforth one essence, end quote. In other words, it united religious and secular strains of Judaism, because it brought together the religious idea of the holy places and the Zionist idea of how Jews should settle, work, and build on the land as the way to connect with their Jewish selves. No longer were religion and Zionism opposites, for they now had the concrete before them, the entirety of the Holy Land, and that became a central purpose of the state. 
And if you're listening carefully, you just heard a trigger word, settle, as in the infamous Israeli settlements of the West Bank. What happens with 1967 is that it's now no longer a question of longing for the lost ancient Jewish Holy Land, but what to do with it now that we have it. And as we'll see in later episodes, that becomes the ultimate question of Israeli politics. So 1967 brings together all these elements. We have a new positive conception of God as one who brings us victory, not one who brings us holocausts. But God went even beyond that to return to us, after 2,000 years, all of our sacred land, and especially our most sacred city, Jerusalem. This land is a cornerstone for a religious identity, if we're religious. And our secular Zionist identity, which has always tied itself so closely to the idea of settling the Jewish homeland, And ultimately, winning this war in the way that we did demonstrated our power. As Danielle Hartman said, it wasn't through our ethics or our ideals that we captured the world's attention, but through our power. We defeated Goliath, several Goliaths, and the whole world is impressed, and we no longer have to bear the shame of a persecuted and oppressed people. So this victory and all that it achieved brought us pride, Jewish pride. And when we talk about how the Six-Day War changed Jewish history— This is what we're talking about. Power, land, God. The war also changed Jewish life in the diaspora, the term we use for Jews who live outside of Israel. I get emails from people in their late 60s and 70s who tell me, you know, I'm Jewish, but I wasn't raised Jewish. My parents never really celebrated holidays. We never went to synagogue. I didn't get any kind of Jewish education. But I was 17 when the Six-Day War happened, and after that I really felt for the first time that I was a Jew. And that's when I started my education and doing the traditions. The Six-Day War turbocharged Jewish identity, especially in the United States. For decades, Jews had donated to Israeli causes, had been broadly supportive of Zionism, or even indifferent, but the approach was often perfunctory, giving money to help our wayward cousins struggling in that desert wasteland. Of course, that wasn't everyone's attitude. But the Six-Day War blew up that dynamic. No longer were the Israelis our strange cousins in the desert, but the great heroes of the Bible come back to life. Suddenly I, a 17-year-old Jew living in America who had never given much thought, if any, to Israel, suddenly I felt as one of those soldiers who liberated the Western Wall. Their victory was my pride as a Jew. Yitzhak Rabin and Moshe Dayan were catapulted into household names, celebrities the world over. The Israeli writer A.B. Yehoshua wrote in 2002, The Six-Day War was labeled the Jewish War, and with good reason. For the old Jewish spirit within us was roused like a ghost. End quote. A year after the war, the American Reformed Jewish philosopher Eugene Borowitz said, quote, The Arab Israeli War did something to us that no one could have known in advance. In my own case, what has strengthened and deepened has been a very personal, existential sense of the particularity of what it is to be a Jew, the specificity of being a Jew as a member of an ethnic community. End quote. Borowitz, too, referenced how the capture of Jerusalem made Jews around the world appreciate their deep historic roots in that place. People who didn't have a clue about the significance of the Western Wall were now moved to tears by the thought of going to Israel to see it for themselves. After the war, 
Jews who had previously ignored Israel now wanted to be tied to it, were proud to be associated with it, and by extension wanted to wear their Jewish identity on their sleeve, or on their head with a kippah. One's Jewish identity and one's solidarity with the Jewish state melded together to form an indelible sense of self. The great 20th century philosopher Abraham Joshua Heschel wrote, quote, One of the insights learned from the great crisis in May 1967 is the deep personal involvement of every Jew in the existence of Israel. It is not a matter of philanthropy or general charity, but of spiritual identification. It is such a personal relationship to Israel upon which one's dignity as a Jew is articulated. The six days of war must receive their ultimate meaning from the seventh day, which is peace and celebration. End quote. Peace was universally expressed by all who went through it, from soldiers to statesmen to philosophers alike, yet it would remain elusive. Plenty more war was sadly in Israel's future. The Six-Day War had practical implications as well as the spiritual. The five territories that Israel captured tripled the size of the country and brought 1.2 million Palestinians under Israeli control. So now what? What should be done with those territories and those people? In the next episode, we'll start to explore the question of how Israel is going to go about using this new conjunction of power, land, and holiness. We'll start at the obvious place the decisions that were made regarding Jerusalem in the days after the war ended. As always, I'm at jewidontknow.com and my email is jewidontknowpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and extra special thanks to those who have been donating since the start of this season in the last couple weeks. Really appreciate it. Talk to you all next time. Lihitraot. See you later. <laughs>